I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Gangster movies have been defined by quotes like these. Although organized crime is obviously not something we condone, there are a few things we can learn from the mafia, at least the ones depicted on the silver screen. You can always tell the winners at the starting gate. You can always tell the winners, and you can tell the losers. Cinema taught us that the mafia is grounded in the ideas of loyalty and trust. Trust that is held to a high regard through a shared experience. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Similarly, the process of building a business does not have to be done alone, and there are people internally and externally who can help us succeed through loyalty and trust. A perfect example of someone who has achieved success through a reliance on others is Krish Subramanian, the founder and CEO of Chargebee. His achievements have been amplified by getting advice from and using the trust of a group that's known as the Filter Coffee Mafia, a namesake given by the popular South Indian beverage. This group of founders meets once a month and they share what's worked out and what hasn't worked out, using each other to understand how they can push all of their businesses forward. Krish says that they do not compete with each other at all. Rather, their goal is for them to solve problems through their shared journey. But interestingly enough, Krish's experience goes well beyond his work with the group. He bootstrapped Chargebee in 2011 with his fellow co-founders in Chennai, India, and has since made it possible to support recurring payments for over 2,000 brands in 53 countries. The opportunity to hear what he has to say is an offer you simply will not be able to refuse. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those in the trenches actually doing the work. On today's episode, Chris Subramanian talks about his bootstrap beginnings, why subscriptions are the future, contributing to a business versus building your own, the importance of rallying behind a metric, as well as positioning yourself as a global company from day one. I don't know what pre-charge me Krish was. Like, we haven't talked about that yet. So like, how'd you get to charge me and, you know, founding charge me? So Rajaraman is my co-founder and then KPS and Thiago. KPS is a co-founder and CTO and uh, Thiago is an architect. Mm -hmm. So Rajaraman and I studied uh, engineering together. We did our computer science engineering mm -hmm. from 97 to 2001 together. And that's how we all know each other. The three co-founders yeah. come from Zoho. Uh, they worked there for over 12, 10, 12 years uh, yeah. before starting Chargebee. I worked with uh, service companies. I started off with a, a company called MatexNet building products mm -hmm. for the first year. And then I worked in services serving Fortune 500 customers, implementing Ariba mm -hmm. uh, for, <laughs> for over uh, nice. eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so my experience was all uh, global exposure. I used to work in US for three and a half, four years in France briefly. So mostly consulting implementations, technology implementations sure. is what I used to do. But all through the journey, uh, Rajaraman was actually experiencing the transition within Advanet where he was actually building products. And he used to, we used to get on calls uh, every few months along mm. with other friends. And he used to talk about how fascinating he was that there is so much of belief in trying to build something global and then he was part of the journey. And he used to talk about how we should also do something similar. Sure. And uh, that was a spark in the conversation that actually led to us planning for starting up at some point of time. Sure. And he used to say, save up enough, at some point we are going to quit, we need to start. 
and then i took him very seriously and then we used to say tell all our friends uh, save up enough if you don't join us then you have to give us money right uh, <laughs> and that used to be the pact amongst the four five of us i think even from 2005 you used to talk about it sure. but it took till 2000 mid 2011 for us to quit and uh, we used to look up to uh, joel on software blog yep. uh, joel spolsky's uh, yep. company was amazing right bootstrap building a service organization and then bringing smart people together and then building a, a product company right and he used to build a company out in the open even from 2001 2002 he used to build a company out in the open sharing everything and he used to look forward to every one of his blogs mm-hmm. right and those were the inspiration for us to want to start up cool. so we saved up for 10 years uh, put in all our uh, money and then decided to just bootstrap because we thought that's the only way to build it we never knew anything about sure. uh, building with uh, capital from vcs and all that right yeah. yeah so now you have axel right uh, but we didn't know about that path at all so we thought companies you build it with your own money and then we just saved up enough uh, we thought we had saved up enough for 10 years and that's how we uh, came together to start the company and by the time rajaram and i decided to quit and start uh, kps and thiago also joined us and that's how the four of us came together why subscription like why subscriptions like obviously it's growing obviously it's you know getting bigger but like why do you think that this is like the future the the more we actually are looking at the relationship between these customers and businesses and the expectations on both sides the question actually becomes why not subscription even the office space right we were just chatting about this uh, we are looking for opex cost right operational expense rather than a capital expense for the office mm-hmm. because it gives you the firm base in terms of knowing exactly how much cash out is necessary on a monthly basis sure. and it sets the expectation very clearly between the vendor and the the buyer Mm-hmm. and even for our own office we are just leasing the space and then paying month on month including the capital the the office space and all that and that's just a beautiful way to actually maintain the service level agreement expectations and all that and that is something we are seeing everywhere if you take the case of hardware like pebble is a beautiful product right we all loved it but the company got killed because they couldn't figure out a recurring revenue stream mm-hmm. for their business yeah right? because even if they had like 5 dollars per year or 10 dollar per year paid from their customer base they would have known that i have a sustainable revenue engine of let's say 10 or 20 million dollar that will come through every year and that would have allowed them to actually continue building that company and, and innovate it on hardware yeah. right? which was their strong strength but because that revenue recurring revenue stream did not exist that company died and then we hear these stories repeatedly where companies that don't figure out a recurring value driven delivered to their customer and figuring out a recurring revenue to their business mm-hmm. is always in a very tricky situation where they don't know how to actually make money from the customer and what value should i be delivering to those customers sure. and that becomes a very obvious thing be it a small company or a large company i think that is a transition that everybody is going through right and then the the, the generation of companies that are being born in this period for us this is quite natural just like for my kids mobile is natural right and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. playing with toys is natural like and 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 then for a lot of us who are beginning the business in this generation for a subscription becomes very natural thing mm-hmm. but a lot of early stage companies which are used to selling one time are also transitioning into recurring, recurring because they could see that you you are selling for half million and i sell the same product for 5000 dollar a month right yeah. salesforce has demonstrated success that this is the way to do it and now yeah. oracle is waking up to it sap everybody's yeah. right and and that's like uh, you you don't get a bigger rally uh, it's, a, it's a bigger rallying cry than anything else adobe uh, microsoft oracle yeah. sap all the market leaders are transitioning into this and then they are struggling to actually make sure that the entire business will run on recurring revenue totally. and and then anybody else who doesn't do it is going to get killed yeah right and so it's a obvious yeah. thing if you are not doing recurring the question actually becomes 
why are you not thinking about recurring rather than why subscription what's your advice to like microsoft or whomever i mean obviously microsoft <laughs> made the transition recently but like big companies small companies that are struggling with that transition like why should they go subscription beyond the fact that it is that relationship or is that that reason no soft software is perfect in the sense that you build a software give it to somebody right it's not something that is going to solve customers problem forever for that customer sure. right it, it goes through its challenges bugs security needs you need mm-hmm. to keep it updated for the journey of that customer's life right so it's not like you just build it and then give it to them and then it stays forever so which means that if you need to really solve that customer problem forever mm-hmm. you are delivering recurring value to the customer sure. right so it's only obvious that you think about it in a way how are you going to build and then you do justice to yourself by con- building a sustainable company that can continue to serve the customer sure. right otherwise the customer is left with a uh, software that is not supported sure, right sure, sure. right either you may you make the choice yeah. at some point right where you cannot continue to improve that version if you are not getting paid for it mm-hmm. right so it's actually a lose lose situation right to create a win win situation the only way to think about it is what value am i going to deliver to the customer on a recurring basis right and and we don't even think about for many of the companies that are transitioning into this world they don't think about um basic things which are not not so obvious for example somebody running a hotel chain is not going to think okay so let me set up an it department have people to back up my software mm-hmm. make sure that nothing crashes mm-hmm. make sure that the database is backed up every 5 minutes it's not these things are not their problem at all right mm-hmm. and these are the areas where they actually spend a lot more money when they have to buy this perpetual license software yeah right and especially install the software and for them it's actually a lose lose situation because one they cannot attract the right talent and then sure. if the cost of ownership is actually high so instead of selling a $100,000 software try selling a $1000 per month software mm-hmm. it it's a mental switch for you to think about all the associated value that goes behind the scenes rather than just oh so will somebody pay me $1000 every month yeah. because you are thinking the lifetime value of the software is like forever mm-hmm. like our 10 years 20 years no a lot of people think about lifetime value of software in five year term mm-hmm. because by that time you are thinking about amortizing the the cost of purchasing software in a different way so the capital expense that you think is $100000 software for like 20 years mm-hmm. is really not true the $100,000 if you amortize it over the 5 year you are dividing it by 60 months right and compare that to $1000 per month for 60 months you are still cheaper yeah, $60,000 yeah, yeah. hence better experience and it's like better experience the product improves better. yeah product yeah. is improving every week every month yeah. and you are actually delivering more value to their business you get to learn about the customer's problem and then solve it in a very relevant way mm-hmm. so it's actually much much it's a win win situation when you think about it that way instead of so i think the biggest barrier in the people's mind is they always think if i sell the software one time i'm selling it forever mm. and that's not true they are only selling it the value of that software is only for four years or whatever right before they start making improvements and then the associated cost and the moment you think about it uh, differently you you will see that you have you are delivering more value by actually selling it on a monthly or annual license something that's kind of common in india in the past 10 15 years it's been a lot of like hey you know a lot of services companies a lot of like really really good talent that was basically being used to outsource but now a lot of folks are basically starting their own thing like is that is that what you're seeing more and more like i know in chennai correct. specifically but also india as a whole uh correct so if you look at the transition right one is we have all been part of the in service sector we have been part of serving customers in product companies service organizations retail in wide range of industries mm-hmm. and we have seen the problem close up helping these companies uh solving problems for these customers in very different ways around the world 
but most of the time it's actually the big customers and all that and that is something that we are learning that is subject matter expertise problem solving in business context and you see certain problems very close up in terms of buying behavior mm -hmm. and all that is something that we learned uh, but I think over a period of time, we are seeing more and more belief uh, that we should be building products ourselves mm -hmm. uh, and we can, we can actually do that. I think the convergence of multiple things like the cost of building something new and interesting came down significantly. The democratization with AWS and others brought a cost down so significantly that anybody anywhere can actually build companies. And that is why we are seeing that as a movement everywhere in the world. Sure. And more so here, uh, simply because one, we are at the, I think it's a very lucky thing that we are at the right time. Yeah. We are in the right place in terms of learning these things about business problems while you actually have the opportunity to build something cool and interesting at a cost where you know you can solve a problem. Sure. Then you are, while doing this, you are learning how to acquire customers and all that. We don't have a playbook and then we, have been, we are all learning. Sure. But I think the convergence is just bringing about the belief that I also want to solve a global problem, uh, a business problem and more and then I can build a company myself, right? Uh -huh. And then I think the belief is happening by looking at companies like Zoho, and others and then saying okay let's try that yeah why why should we build for other folks we can build for ourselves right only right? as a service yeah. company right just doing the services part you clearly see that it's it's cool interesting it helps you build a career and all that but then when you want to build your own company you don't want to build a service company is something sure. that is actually changing the minds is changing where people are thinking can i productize that mm, interesting. right and that is actually happening uh, yeah. right now which is cool and what do you think is like culturally or socially influenced that because, you know, back when I, so as you know, when I worked at Google, I would come to Hyderabad and I would ask like all the, you know, really smart people I was working with, like, why are you making PowerPoint decks at Google? Why aren't you starting your own company? And the response would be like, oh, we just don't do that. Like, how, why has that changed? Like, how has that changed? Or, or maybe it hasn't and maybe we're just the small portion of us are, are getting better, better at building. So there, there are uh, multiple parts to this, right? Even in about 2010, 2011, I don't think it, there was that much awareness or it still was not a cool thing, right? I had to convince my, um, or actually rather I, I had to tell my parents that, okay, I'm going to quit this well-paying job and then, and I already had a kid and yeah. was married and I had to tell them that uh, I was doing it and uh, for me it was more of an independent decision because I was, I had saved up enough for 10 years sure. and Holy still God. there was this uh, stigma that, okay, so why is he doing it, right? And then does he even know what he's actually trying to do? Sure. Feeling was there. And thankfully my wife was very supportive about this, uh, but she didn't know what she was signing up for. <laughs> In terms of None the of journey. None of significant others do ever, yeah. And, and then I even had to tell my, uh, convince my, uh, rather, I had to inform my father-in-law. I felt obligated to want to inform my father-in-law before oh, wow. doing that, right? Yeah. So there is this whole social pressure that getting, working in a paid job is actually the cool thing to do rather than actually risking everything to try and do something on your own sure. used to be uh, still a challenge, right? And I see that shift gradually happening where it's no longer that much of a risk. Sure. I think that is changing and people see that there is the method to the madness where the, the belief is happening uh, by seeing others do it, right? If that person can do it, I can also do it. That belief is changing. Mm -hmm. When more and more people are actually seeing companies like us getting built in front of them and we are sharing our playbooks. And I think that is changing a lot in terms of people seeing that, okay, I can also try that or I should also attempt it. Cool. It's not that risky. It's uh, something sure. that is changing in people. Do you think that Zoho helped that? Like the fact that they were successful and, you know, they were big and they're still successful. But do you think that helped, like, you know, you could point to your parent, your parents to them and be like, well, they did it. Like, we don't even have to be that successful and, and it could <laughs> right. be work out, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more, mostly the belief for ourselves, right? Sure. The, the people who are building products, for example, take case of KPS 
who is uh, who's our CTO and founder, who has been part of the journey within Zoho, touching upon multiple products, all the way transitioning from uh, network management software to building cloud-based software, and nobody taught him how to do that, right? Mm. These are all things that you actually learn on the job trying to, you're a problem solver. Basically, yeah. you're a problem solver. You are given a problem, you can solve it better, sure. right? Applying your skills. And you actually get that belief that I can do it. Yeah. And Raj Arman used to have his own product, which is, which is five years into his job. He was trusted with the responsibility of picking a problem and then building a product all by himself. Sure. Now that changes something, a switch goes on in your mind that if you are able to do this within an organization, what you get is a safety net, right? They are working like a micro VC yeah. inside a larger organization saying, okay, so go build it, right? Form your team and then solve that problem, yeah. launch it. And they have a playbook when it comes to customer acquisition and all that and how that works. And then you start realizing that I can also attempt it, right? Myself, mm -hmm. all that it takes is I need to give myself enough time, yeah. right? And then pick a problem and you then break it down. And then years, start. which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and then when I left to start Chasby, I was working at Cognizant, oh, uh, Cognizant oh. Technology Solutions. Yeah. And there was this vice president uh, who told me, I don't know, Krish, uh, I've known you very briefly, but I don't know if you actually realize how, what you're actually going to do. But here is something, he actually built a company, sold it to Cognizant and then he had joined uh, five years before that. Mm. And he told me that, okay, just whatever is the problem that you pick up, just make sure that you have three, 36 months of money left with you. Sure. Right? Keep at it for 36 months, yeah. you'll figure out something, you're smart enough to figure out something. But if you give up before that, you're less likely to be successful. But if yeah. you just see through it for 36 months, you're more likely to figure out something that works and you will continue to do beyond that. And that was a very interesting uh, observation. And I didn't even know the weight of that observation sure. while he actually said that. Yeah. But one and a half, two years into the company, and then you realize that your bank balance is actually going down. Everything takes longer, two times more than what you planned for. And then everything costs you double the money. Yeah. And then you realize how important that observation was. That yeah. if you don't plan to see through it for 36 months, it's very, very hard to actually understand uh, all the aspects of building an organization, sure. right? Let alone one is solving a problem and then validating that MVP. The next stage is actually bringing people together uh, and then them building the organization with you totally. because it, it changes, right? First, after two years, it's, it becomes everybody else's organization and it has to be that way. Only then you can always solve that at scale. Yeah. And for that to happen, you need to start bringing in the early stage, early believers who will join your organization as employees. Yeah. And these people need to start building things. And you learn how to do every one of these aspects of building an organization. Yeah. Right? Uh, and uh, I think it, as a first time entrepreneur, it just takes time to, for you to actually uh, put those puzzles, pieces together to solve that puzzle. Why do you think it takes always longer? I think each one of us have our own journey, right? I am an engineer by, sure. in bag, by background, and none of us are actually uh, from the sales background, right? Sure. All four founders are from engineering background. And then I learned everything, whatever I know about sales and marketing, I was very good at, exceptionally good at support, right? Uh, because I've done consulting and all that. Yeah. And, and this is what I'm good at, which is solving problems for customers. Mm -hmm. And so the support comes naturally. And support is the only sales channel for you through the early days. Mm -hmm. right? You don't even have a sales ID, right? You just create like a sales HRG, but then everything comes into, yeah. support and then you just solve the problem sure. uh, but you learn the why the rigor in sales process is necessary and how to acquire customers sure. and the only way we used to get customers early days was to hang out in forums and recruit those early adopters oh that's awesome right which is yeah. solve a problem in the absence of your product for somebody right yeah. so telling them this is how you actually solve it and later on you tell them okay i'm also building something right if you're interested I would love to have you as a beta customer to get your feedback. Sure. And then we used to get like 300, 400 of those signups before launch. 
yeah. and that's how we built our but the playbook is very different from every company right now there is product hunt you could actually launch it uh, get lot of beta customers but for a person from engineering background it's uh, a long process when it comes to actually understanding the difference between marketing and sales uh, and then how to actually break down the funnel in a way that you do that and then you need to learn from everybody else playbook yep. internalize and then understand what might work for you because in the context of your problem that you are solving mm-hmm. uh, what are the objections how will people buy that all of that needs to uh, you it, the thoughts need to crystallize sure similarly for company for founders coming from completely sales background sure. and then hiring engineers for them the product is a bigger puzzle Yeah. for us product is not the biggest part of the puzzle sure, sure, right sure. building things is easy it's actually the 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 curse of the engineer which is you think everything is easy to solve and you might actually do more yeah. is the problem for us Just right build, 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 build. right and yeah. we need to avoid that and that takes time sure. similarly for a sales person they could actually sell better but they won't know how to build a productized idea better right because you are you are left at the mercy of people that you are hiring sure. in the, especially in the early days that's a harder one Got that it. you need to know how to break it down and then build the mvp right things like that so everybody has their own journey when it comes to the learning curve that is necessary till you get to the point where you know that you are on to something yeah. and that validation is the hardest part of the journey to understand okay so this is a problem this is um i'm um, this is a underserved part of the market that i'm actually going after mm-hmm. and that underserved segment could be different it could be early stage it could be mid market it could be enterprise it could be based on price point mm-hmm. right because no category has just one leader in saas right because sure. th- that is something we are repeatedly seeing yeah. and so for you to nail that underserved segment how are you going to serve that customer how are you going to get them to look at you how are you going to onboard them how do you serve them profitably figuring that out part is a different journey for every founder is my understanding of how i see that sure. and that just takes time it takes easily 2 to 3 years for everybody to actually figure those especially if you are a first time founder What's something that that's big that you overcame, if anything? Like you mentioned that you had other struggles, like you know earlier on and stuff like that. What's like a couple of the big things that you came? As an engineer who actually making the transition to building business, right, on the sales and marketing side, what I did not know or have not experienced firsthand is the power of numbers. Hmm. Like putting ironic, a number ironic. out there, yeah, yeah, and then going after that, how much it actually rallies the team to want to hit that number, and everybody enables you to hit that. that is something that i did not actually understand early on and that is something when we did that and everybody make sure make sure that we hit that number yeah. right and that is a rallying cry for the team where it's a it's a beautiful unifying force and we have not ex- generally we don't experience it as engineers right and then setting a number out there which is audacious right stretch goal and then that number and that growth revenue number and the growth becomes your north star Yeah. And then it also translates for every function which is also non revenue function mm-hmm. is something that we did not internalize that well even though you see that repeatedly everywhere you hear about it it's something as a switch that needs to go in within your mind for you to actually understand that that's a powerful force and that has been one of the biggest learning curves for us um that once we figured that we could see that um that's something we should have done from beginning when do you know you have validation what was your cuz you guys have grown you have thousands of customers you know you guys are doing really well like but in the early days you know as you mentioned cash going down like it starts feeling a little scary like when do you when do you think you knew like was it like what was your metric if anything or was it a feeling like what was the uh, no not a feeling the north star for us is how much money uh, flows through our system like right? sure. if people are making money through the product 
Yeah. For us, as a billing system, if that is happening, you know that you are serving the right customers. Sure. Right. And for us, the moment we saw that the the volume that we are processing keeps going up, yeah. and the moment we are we were able to see that, we knew that okay, we were serving the right type of customers. Got it. Got it. Because early stage, you tend to attract people who are in the fringes, who themselves do not know how to build businesses and all that. Yeah. Fascinating businesses, ideas and all that, but then the volume needs to kick in, right? Sure. For you to see that some that there must be one metric that actually is great, right? If you are a social media sharing platform, you need to see that more tweets are going through your system or something has to happen, right? Sure. For us, more money has to go through our system, more invoices need to get generated. Yeah. And, and the moment that started happening, we knew that we will start solving the right problems. Because the moment more money flows through, they will start asking the right questions in terms of mm -hmm. the right problems will come from those customers. With this feature and that, that feature. feature yeah. The feature request will be more tangible, more accurate in terms yeah. of what they would like to see in the product. Totally. And, and and we need we had to get hooked to that. And once that started happening, we knew that okay, we are onto something. Early days, it was like uh, getting at least uh, a few hundred thousand dollars to flow through the system in the early days, right? Sure. Now we are processing over 600, 700 million dollars annually. And that's going at a good clip. But getting to that point, it had to start somewhere in terms of a few businesses which were getting the first few thousand dollars yeah. and then getting enough of those going through the system was the hardest part of the journey. Of course. <laughs> Do you still measure success on that GMV or like It's revenue? a TPV, total process volume. Yeah, is, you, is that it. your success or do you now look at your revenue as well or a little bit of both? We, we do look at our revenue because... Yeah. Uh, Obviously, you need to right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but at the same time, the, the North Star, when it comes to, because we have a freemium, it is also important to see that the freemium, are we still serving the right customer is, on the, is a question that we keep asking. Sure. Otherwise, we are attracting the, or trying to serve the wrong audience, right? We yeah. can have all the hypotheses we want about saying we are building the product for so-and-so. But unless it's really serving a customer need, it's yeah. pointless, right? So uh, for us, we look at it by segment of customers. We look at, are we processing the right amount of volume sure. that is appropriate with the amount of customer support and the effort that is going into onboarding and serving the customer? Mm -hmm. Is it translating into their volume processed? Even if we don't make money today on the premium cohort, we know that if you are serving the right customer base, yeah. they will become a paying customer, right? So that is something very important for us. Have you had any trouble like selling into the U.S. or selling into other regions being from, from Chennai? No, uh, not really. That is, uh, one, so one of the key things is uh, the company that everybody needs to work with, meaning sure. the, the, the terms of service, which legal entity, right? Oh, sure. That used to be a question, right? And we took away that objection. Sure. The way I look at it is it's peeling away the onion in terms of objections, right? Got it, got when, you're, when, you're, when some <laughs> customer is actually looking at it, uh, what is their objection, right? Are they dealing with an Indian entity when it comes to legal resolution or not, right? It's a critical service and it's important that we yeah. earn their trust. So we set up a Seek or Delaware company and saying, okay, so this is what you deal with. The next step is now, where is your service hosted? AWS in North Virginia data center, got right? It, it, and then make the data portable, right? Open up the API and sure. then give them all the data and then earn their trust, right? And no multi-year contracts to lock them down, right? Sure, sure, Put sure. them at ease, right? And then at every stage, there is a different objection that will come from the segment of customer, which is different. And then as long as you are actually dealing with a newer objection at every stage, you're doing something right. There you go. It, it just, it <laughs> oh, just cannot be the same objections that you're dealing with, and then you, are, you have not solved it. Totally. And that's how I look at it, right? So not really. It has not been that difficult to selling it globally. Sure. So we just don't sell it to US, right? Now the customers are in 53 countries. Sure, sure, sure. And, and which means that you are actually dealing with very... Uh, diverse, US customer is actually the easiest customer because they are more risk uh, taking. Mm -hmm. 
they tend to actually take a leap of faith when it comes to trying new solutions. Sure. And there are also markets that we deal with, especially in Asia and East Asia, even in India, right? That are selling to a mid-market is like selling to enterprise. Got it. In got India. It. Interesting. Right? So actually the selling to Indian customer is much more harder for us because yeah. we tend to deal with global customer base and then you find that mm. a self-service customer in US will come in, look at the documentation, figure it out and then buy the product mm. compared to uh, some other customer with a different characteristic in terms of buying behavior who will say, show me the demo, right? And then can you come to my office to show me a demo, right? Sure. Sorry, we cannot, right? The yeah, price point yeah. at which we operate, we don't do that sure. for certain segments of customers. and and. Those are learnings that you go through as an organization. It's, it's about cool. objection handling. That's cool. You've been in San Francisco, Boston, you've been all over the world, you know, different SaaS companies, and you've worked elsewhere as well. Like, what do you think makes Chennai, at least from like a software, a SaaS community, what makes it different than some of the other communities? One, I think, is a service mindset, right? Comes very naturally. Sure. Because pretty much if you think about uh, SaaS, right, the, the whole service component is extremely important in terms of understanding a customer problem and then solving it better. I think that comes naturally. The whole customer service experience, I see that that is uh, repeatedly standing out when it comes to, that stands out when it comes to the B2B part of uh, the Chennai ecosystem. Sure. Right? That comes very naturally. So actually putting together a good uh, customer support team yeah. um, that is really classy and then serving global customer base, I think is uh, mm -hmm. something that uh, works out really well. When it comes to, uh, the ecosystem itself, uh, having this uh, tight-knit group of founders who are, uh, so actually most of us, we don't, none of us almost, we don't compete with each other at all, right? In terms of, because of the problem, nature of problems, we all picked up. Minus Zoho. Yeah, minus Zoho. <laughs> but we don't talk about Zoho. Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they are the inspiration for a lot of us to start, right? Course, and then yeah, uh, yeah. we all come from that, right? In, uh, some, the, way, yeah, in yeah. some way or the other. Yeah. The playbook is an open playbook when it comes to admitting mistakes. Right. So what I find very fascinating and interesting is even when I talk to uh, Girish and a uh, lot of other founders here, like Ashwin is the second time entrepreneur, Pipe Candy, sure. right? There's no inhibition to actually share your mistakes, right? To admit your mistakes mm -hmm. and say, this is where we went wrong sure. and you shouldn't, right? And that happens quite naturally. That's and and there is this group called Filter Coffee, Filter Coffee Mafia, right? Chennai is known for filter coffee, so it's a pun on the name. So there is this WhatsApp group, and then we have this group where we lean on each other when it comes to um, one coming together and then sharing the learnings, right? So every month we meet to pick up one topic where we try to share uh, learnings about something, right? Which could be something that we figured out about even how to set the expectation when it comes to sales mm -hmm. or the sales process. And each of us come from different varied backgrounds, right? Some of them are very good at sales, some of them very good at support-driven sales, mm -hmm. uh, some very good at product. And we come together where we pick up one problem, pressing problem for a particular company, and then we try and solve it for them. Mm -hmm. We spend like two, three hours on a Saturday every month, right? And then we lean on each other where we actually um, set up like breakfast discussions like one-on-one, uh, -on -one, mm -hmm. and then we also hold each other accountable. Now, that is something that I find is fascinating as a very close-knit group of founders who are leaning on each other. Sometimes it gets lonely in terms of journey, right? Where you cannot share all the problems with everybody, but at the same time, uh, you wish you could actually just vent it out and then hear some feedback, right? Yeah. External feedback and validation to see if, if it's a right approach. And that happens more often because I'm able to share the journey with others. And I see that happening more and more amongst a close-knit group of founders. Sure. And, and I think that I find is very unique about Chennai. I'm not sure if that actually exists in a lot of other cities. Sure. Right? But I find that is something very special and I, I, I'm very um, 
I want to actually stay back in Chennai for mainly that reason, right? Even yeah. though there is this pull of customers to want to move to US yeah. and all that, right? One thing that keeps bringing me back to Chennai and then trying to stay here in Chennai is this close, close group of people that I also am able to learn from yeah. uh, and we are also able to support each other, right? Everybody pays it forward, but at the same time, you also gain a lot yeah. from each other in terms of emotional support, when it comes to actually learning from their playbook, mistakes yeah. and all that, right? I think that makes it special. A huge thanks to Krish for sharing his experience protecting the hustle. We learned about the importance of subscription adoption, contributing to a business versus starting your own, the importance of rallying behind a metric, and positioning yourself as a global company from day one. Thanks for watching, and make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. Subscribe.